We are reading again from the book of Hebrews this morning, and as we have said over the last few weeks, Hebrews is less of a book and more of a sermon. It is being preached to some Jewish Christians who are, put a fork in me, I'm done. They're just done, questioning their faith. What are we doing here? Our passage this morning comes near the end of the sermon. In it, the preacher will take us on a journey to two mountains. The first one is the holy mountain of Moses. You remember that, the lightning and the thunder and the quake. On that mountain, God is the just judge and the righteous executioner. The second mountain is that of Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. It is personified in Jesus Christ. But God is on Mount Zion, and the God that is on Z Mount Zion is both fiercely righteous and fiercely loving. And we aren't choosing one mountain over the other. Our journey is to both. Both are God, but we end our journey on Mount Zion with Jesus, the heavenly Jerusalem. Hear now Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. Hear the word of God. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and a gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches a mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to a God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will they escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God in acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I read this week where the number of people in the U.S. who describe themselves as Christians is now at 63%. A decade ago, it was 75% of people who confessed themselves as Christians. Meanwhile, the number of people who profess themselves to be secular in America is up 10% from a decade ago. Meanwhile, the number of people attending worship has fallen below 50% for the first time in the United States. We've lost a lot of young people. That being said, TJ came into my office this past week and was talking about revamping the confirmation class. Confirmation. 
a process usually for young people to confirm the vows of their baptism, a public profession of faith, adding their names to the role of members at the church. Confirmation is also the answer to the joke about the meeting of pastors who had a problem with bats in their belfry. The Baptist preacher said, oh, our problem's been terrible. We've tried cats. We've tried noises to no avail. The Lutheran pastor said, we've fumigated the whole thing, and they're still there. The Presbyterian pastor said, our session voted to confirm the bats, and we have not seen them since. (laughs) There is some truth in that, unfortunately. Uh, Back in the day when my hair was of a different color, I was in charge of a confirmation program attempting to get doctrine across, name the two sacraments, what is predestination, how are we different than the Baptists, all important things to know if you're Presbyterian. But I felt as I aged that confirmation really doesn't happen in the class or before the session or words repeated in the sanctuary so much as it does when a young person has a prayer and says a prayer and knows the prayer will be heard. When the young person falls in love with God, when the young person shares with all vulnerability, what their life means, what God is, and who God is, and how the Spirit works. And this happens. It happens. I've seen it happen at youth conferences, meetings on the beach, at retreats, at mission retreats. I've seen it happen, and it's powerful. So anyway, TJ came into my office talking about how to revamp confirmation, and he got me thinking about how we share our faith. And now that worship attenders are a minority in this country, how do we persuade others of our faith? Maybe the question is, why are we here? I think the answer for many of us is that we're here because of our parents. If our parents were Jewish, we'd be down at the synagogue. If our parents were Muslim, we'd be over at the mosque. If our parents were atheist, we'd be on the golf course. What do atheists say when they shank a ball? I don't know. Well, anyway, why are we here? Our parents. Why are we are here, our parents. But neither is that very inspirational, nor is it very persuasive. The proof of that is found in how many of our children are not here on a Sunday morning. You may have persuaded your children to attend the same school that you attended. You may have persuaded your children to root for the same teams you root for. You may have persuaded your children to vote the same political party that you're in. You've been very persuasive. You've gotten them to adopt your lifestyle. But for some reason, the church just hasn't stuck. They don't see the need. They don't see the need. 
There was a time when the preacher could persuade with a threat of eternal damnation. I like to call that the good old days. <laughs> Back when preachers had power, now we put preachers in the dunking booth out back. So, uh, the Reformation is, of course, the blame for the loss of eternal damnation, the advent of amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us any less. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more. What the Reformation did was lift high the cross that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is reconciling all things. And nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if we can think of something that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, we need to be worshiping that. Because that is the most powerful thing in the world. We need to be worshiping that, and we do. We do. If you ask me, that's why we've lost our mojo. It's why we lose to Starbucks and an iPad on Sunday morning. It's why they leave the confirmation class and never return. It's why we're at each other's throats. It's why we're gearing up for civil war. It's why we have no welcome for the other. It's why we're always afraid of what's coming next. It's why we're coming apart at the seams. We have found other gods. We have found some little political person who wants only another term, and we worship that. We've found some God of fear, we found some arrogance, we found some molehill to kill and die over, some justice that will cut down everyone at the knees that gets in your way, whatever it is. We quit drinking the blood of Christ and have begun drinking the Kool-Aid out there. And we believe it to be more powerful than the love of God, the truth of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the worship of God. Look, says the preacher of Hebrews, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us give thanks, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. That's a different kind of worship. That's a worship that you know why you're there and what you're doing. You give an acceptable gift of thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Not because you have to do it, because you want to do it. If someone buys you a cup of coffee, you say thank you. If someone gets you a job, you may take them out for dinner afterwards. If someone gives you their kidney, you may weep in their arms. If someone saves you from a car crash or getting hit by a car, I guarantee you, you're figuring out a way to say thank you. You can never quite get the words, but you're just saying thank you, thank you, thank you. You pray that they understand how thankful you are. So here's the hard question to answer. What has God done for you lately? Can you think of anything? And if you can, 
You can't keep it under wraps, can you? You can't. I recently watched an hour-long documentary on Angela Merkel. I live a pretty exciting life, don't I? How do you finish up a bike ride across Iowa? Well, with an hour-long documentary on Angela Merkel. If you need to catch your breath, I understand. Um, aside from being the chancellor of Germany, I knew nothing about Angela Merkel. In her name, Angela, you hear the word angel. Her parents saw her and named her an angel. Her father was a Lutheran minister. And after World War II, was sent over to minister in East Germany. Thank you so much. Communist East Germany. Communist, no room for God, East Germany. He was sent. Angela grew up in that home in a country where being an informant for the government was nearly everyone, which means you can't trust your neighbors. How do you suppose you talk about Jesus Christ in that kind of environment? Does Jesus Christ just shrivel up and die in that kind of environment? No. When everything is dark and fearful, light shines, and people are drawn to it. Like water in a desert, they thirst for it. We are weak, but he is strong anyway. One of the things that caught my attention was when Angela was a German chancellor, and Germany the wealthiest nation in Europe, Greece and Italy needing a bailout, and then Syrian refugees from the war there begin pouring into the country. And Angela Merkel, a politician, got up and said to a crowd, our party is called the Christian Democratic Union. And she said, in that name, you hear the word Christian. It is time for Germany to prove that because of our history, we cannot get this wrong. Because of our history, we cannot get this wrong, that we need to be our name Christian. We need to live into that name. Now, I don't know a lot about Angela Mercy, Merkel. She may have done a million things in her career that were just terrible. I dare not idolize a political leader. But I was inspired by that moment where you say the name of Jesus Christ and the call is to live into it. She knew who she was. She knew where she was. She knows that God is a consuming fire. You can't put him onto the side. You live into it. God takes over you in Jesus Christ. The word Christian is in our name, and so you cannot walk by a stranger on the road and do nothing.
You cannot stone the woman caught in adultery. No, because you're a sinner too. You cannot let the multitudes go hungry. You can't. Not when you know who you are. Now, I suppose if I were, was born in Syria, my parents might be a Muslim. I might be a Muslim. And I suppose if my parents were not fans of Bashar al-Assad, I might not be a fan either. And I suppose if I was caught up in that civil war and I had a choice of dying or living, I might choose life. And I suppose I might get into that raft. And if I happen to be so lucky to make it to dry ground, I might press my luck and aim for the wealthiest nation in Europe. I might. It's just the kind of guy I am. And if I got through the sea and over the land and I came to a land and they welcomed me, even though they didn't look a thing like me, even though they didn't worship in the way I worship, they welcomed me and they invited me in and sacrificed their love, I might have an answer to the question, what has God done for me lately? I might know how to say thank you. Whatever is dying that is called the church in America is probably dying for all the right reasons. Because it isn't worth a blessed thing. Because its gods are self-preservation. Its gods are bigotry. Its gods are self-righteousness. Its gods are not worth anything at all. But if there is a people who believe that love is more important than the whims of a political climate, if there is a people who know that every person on earth might be a savior in disguise, if there is a person on earth that believes that God is mercy and they should be healing mercy too, if there is a people who believe that justice isn't justice unless it's justice for all people, if there is a people like that, I suspect they know who they are and why they are here, and they probably have nothing to worry about. 